0: Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and today I am joined again by Doug Nelson. No relation, but that doesn't mean that you're not welcome here, Doug.
1: Oh, thanks. It's always fun being on your show.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you back. You've been do you call the- this a,
1: do, you, do you call this a show?
0: Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure somebody else in the world calls it something else, like a train wreck, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, uh, like listening to uh, fingernails on a chalkboard, or you know, a joke or something else. I'm sure somebody has some other term for it, but a show is fine. Yeah.
1: Okay. That, you know, that's interesting because if I was going to pick a show to watch, would you go out and search for a tax attorney and a CPA?
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) (laughs) not a million years. (laughs) That'd be actually, that would be the opposite of what you would search. You would think in your brain, what is the opposite of that? That's what you would be searching for. Yeah. Yep. Well, you've uh, you've diligently been giving us uh, on this show, if we're going to refer to it as that today, um, market reports. And we've been doing it roughly on the quarter, which has not been 100% the case, but roughly every quarter. Uh, and actually, things did happen in the last quarter, um, more than just saying that it's been volatile. So I thought maybe we could catch up on that and then chat about a few other things of interest here.
1: Okay. Yeah, it uh, was an interesting quarter um because of all the uncertainty and we talk about uncertainty a lot we did see a lot of volatility. We saw the S&P 500 lose, oh, roughly four and a half percent. But the other real surprise was how bad bonds were beat up. They, they got hit with the threat of rising interest rates. So mm-hmm. bond prices naturally going down because of those not only increases in interest rates, but the threat, the forecast there's going to be more of it. Then you threw in this curveball of inflation, which most everyone that we're speaking with is feeling inflation at a greater rate than what's being publicized, especially clients who are in the building or real estate business. They've seen huge increases in prices on getting anything done. So I think that's what really threw more volatility into both equity and bond prices, because if we see inflation, we're all concerned that the Fed will be more aggressive in raising interest rates and hurting bond prices. Now, there is kind of a a safety net for some of uh, the bond portfolios that we see, and that is if you keep the maturity short, then the pain is not nearly as bad. But of those people that believe they wanted 30-year treasuries because of their safety, well, they just really got beat up on price because a 30-year bond, as rates go up, it's going to fluctuate dramatically. And so I think we, we saw those people with really long-term bonds get hurt worse than they needed to if they would have kept those maturities very short.
0: Do you think the combination of those two things, the, say the, the dip in S&P, in conjunction with a dip in the bond prices was shocking, or just sort of to be expected. Although maybe you know nobody has a crystal ball, so nobody knew exactly that was going to happen. But this is a thing that just can't happen.
1: You know, I don't think most of us that have been around a while, um, and that means older than you, um, have seen multiple times where this has occurred. And, and we always remember the same story and the same thing from many clients and people that we speak with will come back and say, well, hold it. I thought bonds were supposed to protect me when equities go down. And yes, they're designed to do that. And if our maturities were short, then the bond declines did not hurt nearly as much as the equity declines during the past quarter. So they they did help us. However, to say that whenever stocks are going down, bonds are going up, that's just not the case. There are are multiple times when they both decline or they both perform quite well. So we're just going to see this most of the time when we look at portfolios. So remember, we're not looking for quarterly returns or monthly returns or even yearly returns. We need to spread those over lengthy time periods and see the benefits of those Portfolios compounding over time. That's what will really make the difference.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something we've emphasized a lot of time when we've talked to talked with you. It's just the idea of these are things like, yeah, it's it's very curious and interesting and it's newsworthy uh what the market does over a, a quarter, but really that's not the time horizon that most people should be focused on. Frankly, if you're if you need money within a quarter and those sorts of fluctuations are a problem for you, you really shouldn't have been in the market with that money. Um no, most because of the that sort that, of thing can happen. Yeah, that,
1: Short term money, I know we almost always use an ultra short tax exempt bond fund so that the maturity, the average maturity inside that bond fund is somewhere in the two to six month range. So that if if rates fluctuate, you don't see a lot of volatility.
0: Yeah. And that way you get some return. Yeah. And it, well, it sounds like from what you're saying, the idea is that even if, even if equities maybe have a, a larger drop. That the drop in the bond fund, if it's a short-term bond fund, it's just not going to be as much as those equities on average, and so it's actually propping up the the so sort of overall performance of the portfolio.
1: Correct, correct. It it makes it a little easier. Um, you know, you hate to say, oh, well, you know, a one percent loss on my bonds this quarter. Well, that was really good. Well, no, well, nobody's really happy about it, but it's sure a lot better than a four and a half percent loss.
0: Yeah. there's a there's an interesting um, statistical phenomena when um, the price of something goes down. In order to get back up to where it was, you don't need to recover the amount that it lost by percentage. You basically have to recover, you know, a hundred percent. The statistics, you know, it's not like you lost fifty and then you only need to get a fifty percent gain to get back to where you were. You have to actually get a hundred percent gain to get back to where you were, st- statistically speaking, in some instances, and so. Climbing out of those holes sometimes can be challenging if you don't have assets that have a lot of volatility in them.
1: That's the other reason it's, it's always nice. And this is, isn't true for people that are retired or people that are living off their nest egg now. But especially if you're younger and building that nest egg, then right now, if you're still putting money into equities and or into bonds or any other investment vehicle, That's taken a beating right now. You get to buy it at very, very at at what would seem to be attractive prices. So it's it's good. Keep investing. That's, you know, the moral of the story is start young, save often and be systematic about it. And I I really don't even care for most people if all you're doing is taking twenty five dollars every week and have it automatically shipped out of your checking account and into an investment account or into a, an IRA or a Roth IRA, just do that. Get it set up so it's automatic. It's about the same as your your cell phone bill for the month, for crying out loud. Get it in there. Get it invested. That will, that will establish habits of good saving. And over time, that will build to tremendous wealth. If you just give it a chance. So don't think you need a big amount. Just get started. Getting started, that's the hard part.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah it have it yeah the one thing that that is still out there that we're going to have to see is this inflation trend that we seem mm-hmm. to be going through mm-hmm. and how long it lasts because it is um, a scary prospect of seeing inflation going up such that people need to demand higher wages to support just their standard of living that they're existing at today because then those higher wages, tend to increase the cost of goods and services for everyone, in which case inflation ramps up and it just becomes this self-perpetuating um, snowball effect. Of higher wages, fueling inflation. Now, one of the ways to try and slow that down that the federal government will use is increasing interest rates, which then we'll see long-term bonds get hit even worse. But I'm not convinced that we've seen a lot of that wage inflation or, or infl- wage-driven inflation yet. But if we do, that could even make it a little bit worse. And so then we'll just see if if everyone quits spending money, then it could trigger uh, an inflationary or excuse me, a recessionary trend, which, again, we'd have to survive um, just like we have in the past. I don't want everyone to think, oh, Armageddon is coming, but the there just seems to be rough times uh potentially in the future. Now, that being said, we don't know these things. There's no one out there that says, oh, this is going to happen. Well, there are people that say that, but they really don't know. They're guessing. It's like think of uh, even a housing bubble. Well, a housing bubble doesn't exist until it pops. If it doesn't pop, it was not a bubble. So we don't know these things until they actually occur. So I, while on the one hand, I think we have to be careful about the inflationary trend we're seeing and be mindful, um, we don't know that it it will produce any type of uh, dramatic result or even a a recession. It may, but we don't know.
0: But if you say that it will, you're 50% right or wrong. See? Yeah. So yeah, actually, your probability of being right is pretty high.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where I, I really love a lot of these people that make these forecasts. Because what if you just watch, they'll make about 10 forecasts and they'll get one of them right. They'll go, oh, see how smart I am? I yeah. forecasted that. Well, yeah, what <laughs> exactly. about the nine that you were wrong about?
0: Oh, forget about that. No, never bring that up again. Never, never, yeah. never. That's lost to history forever. Yeah, well, isn't it the it's the kind of um, John Bogle saying of you know when when the markets are high buy index funds when the markets are low buy index funds. Yeah, you know, yeah. obviously he was self interested. He was the, the creator of yeah. Vanguard yeah. funds, but he was you know he was self interested in that. But that was sort of his investment philosophy. And there's something well, to be said for it.
1: Yeah, and I think if you if you look back at most of the sages in the investment industry, they've all said pretty much the same thing. Look at um, at Warren Buffett. He says, you know, if you're not going to do, if you can't do what I do, which is have a whole bunch of researchers out there researching very specific companies, and I've got a war chest big enough that I can buy enough shares that I can influence management. If you're not doing that, Buy index funds. Just put your money away. And again, they're consistent about saying, be systematic about it. Get in the habit of just saving money and getting it invested. The same with Peter Lynch. Yeah. The same thing.
0: Yeah. Or it's the uh, T. Boone Pickens method of uh, a fool with a plan is better than a genius without a plan. Yeah. So just You just need a plan and then stick to the plan. Yeah. I guess a fool with a good plan is better than a genius without a plan. That's probably more accurate. May he rest in peace. But um, yeah, well, you mentioned. OK, so you mentioned something that I think is an interesting topic um, or thought experiment, and that is the idea of building habits and presumably When you're talking about long time horizons, then if you want to build these habits, you want to build them early. So how do you then, you know, you and I are both parents, you know, how do you then get say your kids to start building those habits and to do it early so that they get the maximum amount of benefit out of those habits?
1: You know, um, the ways that we've seen, seen it done by clients and people that are involved with us is getting them started early and being honest and encouraging about savings saying, okay, Let's set some goals. And if we reach them, then we have these certain benefits of those. Like, um, you know what? If we together and save and let's all do it individually in our individual accounts, like have set up accounts for the kids. They can either be taxable accounts or if they do have some some earnings somewhere, then an IRA or a Roth IRA is a very effective tool for for young people. And just help them get in the habit of sending money to that account every month or every week, whatever it takes. Then see it grow and set some goals. See if they can achieve those goals. And if they can achieve those goals, then they start feeling really successful about it. They feel good about it. That's the the best way to get them started. Is just help them help them do it. And even if you have to help them out a little bit by saying, okay, if you get this summer job and you can earn this much spending money, and you save this much, I will match it and help you build your IRA with that. So then they can see your money helping them out to build it, their money going into, they see that benefit as well. So if we if we can get them started young, it just makes a huge difference. The impact, I haven't looked at it in quite a while, but the impact of someone who started saving in their 20s, a very, very minor amount, and then quit savings saving in their 50s versus someone who started saving in their 50s and saved all the way through retirement the dollar differences are are huge start young and get the positive effects of the compounding of those returns over a lengthier time period it makes a huge difference in your overall overall wealth uh, accumulation and that's um, translated for us you know okay what do you really look for When we're looking for young advisors who want to come in and they're going to speak the same language as a lot of these younger people. And really, from an advisor standpoint, what we have found is find people that care. That seems to be the single most important attribute, the finance side we can teach. But if we find people that care about people, and I'm sure you'll see the same thing in the attorney um, business, Brent, where if you care about people, then what you do is you typically communicate very well with them because you're genuine about your caring about those individuals. And the one area that we spend a lot of time is especially with clients. And or associates in the firm that when you're in doubt about what to say to someone, just communicate. Just say something. Don't say, oh, I'm not quite ready to get back to that person yet. Get back to them and tell them that you're not ready to get back to them. Keep that communication open so they understand that you do care. And that, that just goes a long way to to people listening to you. And that's where you get back to the the exact same um, topic we were talking about just a few minutes ago, which is that a, a, a decent person with a plan is more effective than a genius without a plan. The same is true with an advisor or anyone else you're working with, whether it's your CPA or your tax attorney, your advisor, your banker. Someone who is reasonably intelligent that you can communicate with is going to do a good job for you. A rocket scientist That you can't communicate with is worthless to you. So finding, you know, the brightest person may not be the most effective unless you can communicate with them. So find that person you're comfortable with that you can communicate with.
0: Yeah. So interesting because, you know, it's it's a it's a human being business right it's the so, you know yeah, if you're going to try to help people or or younger investors build these habits then you you need to have some level of uh, respect between you and them that they would actually respect the thing that you're advising them to do and you only get that respect through this kind of communication and and uh, understanding that you're talking about and doing it on a consistent basis and I think that's probably the other the part not only is is the investment part, Something that needs to be done on a consistent basis, but the advisory part needs to be done on a consistent basis as well over time. You know, you have to build – build a portfolio of evidence that shows that you're uh, a valuable member of the team by doing it over a consistent period of time.
1: I've had a number of very, very intelligent people that I've worked with, Um, not only worked with as associates, but also clients who are very, very bright, Um, amazingly so. And it just takes time to learn the nuances of a wealth planning strategy, because there's all kinds of different things involved. Giving yourself that time and understanding, you're not gonna fully understand what your attorney, what your CPA, what your wealth advisor, what your banker is recommending to you all the time. If you can establish good communication, you'll learn to trust them. And then over time, you'll understand. You'll look back and go, oh, now I remember, Brent, two years ago when you told me that I I probably wouldn't wanna do that now I understand why. I'm glad I listened to you.
0: Or they say, why did we do that? And then I explain, (laughs) we did it for these reasons. And then they say, oh, yeah, that's a good reason. (laughs) We didn't understand it when it happened. Or we forgot. (laughs) That frequently happens to me, by the way.
1: And that's, you know, that's right back to the the same thing. Um, You know, all of all of you parents out there that are going to listen to us, all of you mentors to younger professionals, don't get caught in this idea that you can sit down with your your teenage daughter, and say, look, here, I want you to understand the value of compounding. And if we just put $15 a week into your Roth IRA, if we do that every week and get it invested, then you're going to have this large sum down the road. You can't just say that once. It's just like cleaning their room. You have to repeat it over and over and over. And don't be discouraged by that. We're all we're all the same animals. We all require the same thing. I've been married to Brenda 45 years. I can just now really, I think, dress myself and look decent. She's an artist. So I can come out of the closet and she can tell me, uh no, no, hold it here. We need a little help with this. And it, it took me that long. She has told me numerous times, that there are two types of gray. There are the cold grays and there are the warm grays, and you don't mix them. Well, I didn't really get that for a long time, but now I think I have it. Right now, I have on blue shorts and a warm gray polo. They go together. That's good.
0: Brenda approved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, now that I know that I'm, I'm a little nervous about uh, seeing Brenda. <laughs>
1: I don't think she'll uh, judge you as harshly as she does
0: me. No, probably not. Probably not. You've got the recency and 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 uh, ge- geographical bias going against you. Yeah. The- Well, but I think, I think you're right, you know, what you're, what you're saying about, um, you know, kids and helping kids. I think it's, well, it's not really just kids, but I mean, in in the context of what we're talking about, I guess we're we're sort of targeting our conversation towards younger people. But I think the, the idea is that these, these methodologies or these sort of theories on how to build and build investments. I mean, it's not so much theory as, as it is tried and tested methodologies, but it's, yes, you can understand it, but it's better to experience it. And you'll understand it a lot better once you're experiencing it. And so you have to experience it by putting some work in, doing the experimentation, do the thing that is, part of the method. And then you'll see how the method actually plays out in reality. And when you see that account that you've been feeding seemingly small amounts of money into over a consistent period of time start to grow faster than you were anticipating um, for no reason, then you were just smart enough to do it consistently, then that'll be encouraging to continue doing that for yourself.
1: Yeah, it's that, that discipline gives rise to seeing a result that you actually get a feeling from. And that's that's really the interesting part of this is there are a lot of us that can, oh, discuss the finance, can look at the financial theories and also the, the financial evaluation of investing versus not investing. But it's very, very difficult to explain to someone you'll feel successful as you see that grow. And that feeling will give rise to you wanting to repeat that activity that gave rise to that feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. You get, that little, becomes, you get that little endorphin hit from yeah. seeing, mm-hmm. seeing the success. Yeah. Do you think it's, um, cause I mean, we're, we're really talking about savings and sort of assets. A lot of people who are on the younger end of the age scale, they have another problem, and that is, that is, uh, cash versus, you know, inflows versus outflows. And, There's been not that it really matters, but it just happens to be that I've noticed there's been a little bit of chatter going on in in the media and the sort of social media space about the, the debate between, you know, what's better. Increasing income or decreasing liabilities in order to sort of improve your economic status? I think it's a little bit of a silly debate, but that's the debate that's sort of going on. People are thinking this. I mean, do you come down any particular way on that topic as it relates to being able to then fund these sorts of savings goals?
1: I think it's uh, I, I think there's a balance. What we find, especially with debt, is that people feel better when it's paid off. However, if you can if you can borrow money, say for a home mortgage at two and a half percent, and keep your money invested in a portfolio with historical returns of six or seven percent, that makes financial sense now if you are the type of person that even at those those different rates now i can tell you that's just the financial side of it if you're going to lose sleep at night and cut years off your life then don't do it i mean that's the the flip side of that is don't sacrifice your quality of life for debt that is causing that sacrifice most people say no, for that difference, I'm, I'm okay. If you get if it gets close, they say oh, I feel better just paying the debt off. Let's say that you can borrow on your mortgage at three percent, but you're only willing to invest in a very conservative portfolio that will earn four percent. Well, you're probably pretty close to a break even anyway, so it doesn't make sense to have that debt. You're better off just to pay the debt down or off. Right. And I think I think Brent, the other the other thing that we see is we we're all you know creatures of um, those pleasurable and or successful feelings where you feel successful. And a lot of that can come from very short-term decisions. Long-term savings requires being able to look down the road and say, okay, I'm inclined in this. Then I can see the future benefit, but I'm not going to entirely starve myself now. I'm not going to eat ramen so that I you know, 24-7 so that I can save money in case I need it later. There there has to be a balance between the two. And it's going to be balanced based on the, the type of individual that you are, how disciplined you are in your savings, and how comfortable you are with working for a longer time period if you're not a good saver. Because those are really the things that we control it. If you're not willing to be a good saver, then you just have to work longer.
0: And if you're okay with
1: that, then do it. That's how you're comfortable.
0: Yeah. You know what, Doug? It seems like what you're describing is that there isn't a single plan that works for all people. It feels almost like you're trying to say that everybody is different and everybody's going to do it a slightly different way.
1: Yeah. uh, I think that's the case. (laughs) Surprise. That's
0: the surprise ending in this show. (laughs) That's the that's the one
1: reason that we all found out for the longest time. Everyone said, oh, the magic number is you can spend four percent. That's a safe spending rate. Well, no, not really, because it depends on a whole bunch of other factors: how long you live, how much you really want to leave as a legacy, all of those things. How comfortable you are with debt or no debt. There, there's all kinds of different factors that play into that. So, um, yes, every plan should be customized for every individual that um, that the plan is designed for.
0: Yeah, and it, and as long as it's meeting your specific outcomes, then that's that's the right plan. Yeah, yep. there's. There's a there's an interesting phenomenon, I think, that I think particularly when it comes to money, probably because money gives people so much anxiety um, in that people really want very clear black and white answers on like this is literally the with a capital T thing that you do. And then that equates to something else. And people also get very religious about those ideas. You know, it's like if it isn't this, then it's bad. and. That's just not reality. I just don't think it's tied to the true human experience at all.
1: Yes. I think we, especially as humans, um, we look for that singular cause and effect relationship. Um, What we find in our experience, though, is that cause and effect is rarely singular. There are usually all kinds of causes that gave rise to this effect. And then you throw the real real curveball in, and we get confused by, or we get lulled into thinking that correlation or how certain things seem to act and or occur in tandem, we will translate that into causation, that one caused the other. And that's rarely the case. That simply because Things are correlated doesn't mean there's a a causation between them. And especially knowing that causation, there's usually more than one cause. There are multiple things out there. And that's what we're faced with. It's funny because we're right back to what we started talking about. Or the one thing that I think we need to be cognizant of is the, the current rate of inflation. That that inflation, it's easy to say, Oh, well, yeah, all the money that's in the system, that's going to cause inflation. No. No, um there are all kinds of things that are causing that. The supply chain is having a, a major impact in it. A whole bunch of people that with the onset of COVID kind of lost interest in the workforce and just haven't come back. So we have a whole bunch of pent-up demand now from being isolated for two years, pushing a whole bunch of people to produce a whole bunch of goods and services that they can't get the raw materials to produce, and too few of them are willing to produce because so many of them decided, I'm done, I'm just going to collect Social Security and rest now for the rest of my career. So there's a whole bunch of things interacting with each other out there, and there isn't this singular cause and effect relationship that we'd like to see. Because that makes us comfortable.
0: It'd be quite handy, that's for sure. It'd be real handy if there was just one straight line. You could just follow that straight line and you would know exactly what was going on and why. But that would be uh, what we call fantasy and not reality.
1: It's kind of like you're a fly fisherman. You Mm -hmm. go out to your favorite stream and you know there's fish there because you've caught them before. Mm -hmm. And you go out in the morning and you fish it, and you don't get one take. I mean, you try every fly in your fly box, and you don't get one take. It'd be nice to be able to say, oh, well, there was a full moon last night, so the fish were feeding with that full moon, and they're not hungry today. But you don't really have the slightest idea if it was the full moon. You don't have the slightest idea if the water temperature dropped, and that had an impact, or that the water temperature went too high and no bugs were hatching, so no fish were triggered into feeding, all of those things. Or that maybe there was a whole family of otters that just passed through that entire stretch of river just about an hour before you got there and scared all the fish into hiding underneath rocks, and they're not coming out until they're convinced those otters are gone. There's all of those things that we don't know, and it could have been anyone or the combination of all of those things that gave rise to you being fishless. Or... It could just be that you're a lousy caster.
0: <laughs> it could be, actually. <laughs> I was fishing one day, and I'm I'm standing in the middle of the, the stream. People who don't fish won't care about this story, but I'm standing in the middle of the stream trying to catch fish. It's, like you described, this is a place I'd catch. I had caught fish before. I'm not catching nothing. I'm throwing everything out there that I can think of. Nothing is biting. And then all of a sudden, this shadow passes over me, and there goes the osprey up and down. <laughs> Up and down the the stream, and that was when I realized my problem. It's like, yeah. well, I I just had a very nice walk in water in a beautiful location, but I'm not catching any fish. Yeah. So yeah, those unexpected things they can happen. Part of life. <laughs> it gives a little uh, excitement to life. I mean, it, it you know the the for example, I'll give you. This would be like my, my last example on this topic. But you ask almost anybody how they got into their career. Almost every single person will have some story that's like they, you know, it's some weird circuitous thing and some opportunity opened up unexpectedly and they did that and they did some other thing and they just sort of. Happen to be in the career that they're in, wherever they happen to be in the world. And that was it. They didn't anticipate it. They didn't really plan for it. It just kind of happened because that's the way life shook out. It's like, well, that is life. You don't know what's going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a, there's an old, um, Zen saying that kind of struck me. I, I read it just the other day. Um, that we, we think about all these, you know, these obstacles in life or things that we have to get past, past. And I think this old zen saying goes something, well, something along the lines that, um, obstacles don't block the path. They are the path. So you just don't know what you're going to learn from whatever's coming your way. And all we can do is just kind of survive this to the best of our ability.
0: Yeah. I find really
1: the joy. Like yeah. Find the joy that we can. I mean, yeah, especially those of us right here in Arizona. I mean, the weather's been just unreal, hasn't it? So nice out there.
0: Unless you hate sunny and 70s to 80s. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. been amazing. <laughs> well, I think, um,
1: you know, Brent, before uh-huh. we close, though, let's yeah. encourage um, any listeners out there to just write you a quick note saying, you know, I want to hear more fly fishing stories. <laughs> and then we'll see how we can tie those to financial strategies.
0: Fair enough. Every single time you come on. We'll just talk about fly fishing and how it relates to personal finance. I'm sure there's an angle. I'm Oh, that. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Since we are
0: anglers, there must uh, be. Yes. Touche. <laughs> well, Doug, always a pleasure. Thanks again for doing this. We'll see you in the future.
1: Thank you. I, anytime. I love it.
0: Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.